I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. In case you're wondering, currently I'm uh, serving a church in Wellingport, Ontario, which is pretty close to where I grew up. And it was um, very warm when I left there, and so it's good to, uh, to come to at least feeling like it's winter. There's no snow yet on the ground here, but maybe it's coming. Um, when I was here, of course, before, it was, it was a warm summer, and so now it's kind of neat to experience Lacombe uh, in, in a different season. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. For those of us who are married, do you remember your wedding text? Do you remind yourself of it and and use it to to guide your marriage? Heather's and and my wedding text was Philippians 4, 4 to 9. The passage isn't specifically about marriage, but it is a highly practical passage that instructs us on, on how to live the Christian life and how we are to remain strong and, and faithful while, while, li- while walking with the Lord on earth. The beginning of chapter 4 gives several instructions on how we must stand firm as we continue to follow God's will on earth. This chapter recognizes that living our lives on earth can be difficult. So how do we navigate through the challenges of life? How do we stand firm, loved ones of Bethel? The first thing this passage addresses may not be clear at first, 
I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These women needed help to work through their disagreement. This is all we know about the situation. We know nothing else about these ladies except that they were active members of the church who contended for the gospel. When Paul tells them to agree in the Lord, that the word is featured in a number of places in Philippians. Paul is saying the same thing to Yodia and Syntyche as he said in 2 verse 2 when he said, Be like-minded, having the same love. Be one in spirit and of one mind. So the content of the disagreement that Yodia and Syntyche had must have been rather minor. They weren't disagreeing about whether Jesus is the Son of God or whether he resurrected from the dead. If that was the case, Paul would have had different words for them since right doctrine was always important. I can imagine maybe they were arguing over such things as whether the old hymns or the new modern songs should be used. Or maybe about what pink color the Sunday school room should be. Quarrels between believers are not to be left unresolved. They are to be dealt with right away in love. Fellow Christians must be slow to take offense and and always eager to forgive. One of the main reasons that Paul gives these instructions is because unresolved conflicts between Christians hinder the cause of Christ. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. So if members of this congregation have disagreements over minor things, it distracts us from what is important. So who of you has a disagreement over something? Who of you need to resolve your differences with somebody else? And if you know of someone who has a disagreement, help them resolve it if they need help. Then you and and all of us together will be able to stand firm and, and focus on the task that God has called us as a church to make the good news of the gospel of Christ known. Verse 4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. And the command to rejoice is certainly important because immediately the same command comes again for emphasis. Again, I will say rejoice. The theme of joy permeates the book of Philippians. The word rejoice is used nine times in this book and the word joy five times. The people of God are told to rejoice in the Lord. This joy is not empty or shallow, it is deep. Rejoice in the Lord allows the Christian to stand firm in the Lord no matter what. The joy that we are talking about is not a a shallow, happy, happy optimism that has no basis. It doesn't mean that we need to walk around with a fake smile all the time. It's not based on circumstances that change all the time or on selfish desires. True joy has its foundation, resting solidly in the Lord. Paul has been 
building a case for this solid joy in the Lord throughout the letter of Philippians. Here are four characteristics of how we must rejoice in the Lord. These characteristics achieve joy and maintain joy. The foundation of our joy is centered on the work and character and presence of Christ in everything we do. These four things will bring us joy. First, the cause of Christ as our priority. As partners in the gospel, we strive to advance the gospel. So I'll first go go through these four things, and then I'll go through them more slowly. The cause of Christ. Second, the character of Christ as our pattern. We sacrificially give of ourselves in the interest of others. Third, the comprehension of Christ as our passion. We cry out with Paul, I want to know Christ. And fourth, the care of Christ as our peace. In everything we pray. Joy apart from Christ is weak, short-lived, and fake. It's not true joy at all. But these four things that are described in detail in chapters 1 to 4, when taken as as a complete whole, give us true and and lasting joy. Oh, good, they're all up there. When we pursue the, the cause of Christ, we become filled with joy because we are doing what we are called to do, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. When we pursue the character of Christ, we become filled with joy because we become like Christ, who was the most joy-filled human who's ever lived. And when we pursue to comprehend Christ, straining all of our efforts to know Him, we become filled with joy because He alone gives true, lasting joy. And when we pursue the care of Christ as our joy, we become filled with joy because when difficulties come, we can maintain peace and joy because He hears our prayers and grants us our needs. We have nothing to fear and no anxieties. That's a good summary there. Jesus. When we have Christ, we will have joy. When we are truly in Christ, we will be rejoicing always. Rejoice is an action word. We have to intentionally choose joy and and live out and grab hold of, of the cause of Christ and the character of Christ, the comprehension of Christ, and the care of Christ. Verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The word that is translated as gentleness is an interesting word. It's hard to translate into English, but it refers to the exact opposite of having a spirit of contention or to be self-seeking. It is selfless kindness. We need to be known for this character quality. We need to have the mind, the attitude of Christ. What do you want to be known for? 
your good looks, your ability to make people laugh, your hard work ethic. Even our best intentions can be infected with our selfish desires. Let's be known for not being known. May we be known for our, our selflessness and our kindness to others. As we become transformed into the likeness of Christ, let's outdo each other in selflessness. What follows in our text is a, is a very short sentence, the Lord is near. It's unclear whether this means that Jesus is near to us spatially or whether it means that Jesus' return is near. The word near can, can have both meanings, and perhaps Paul keeps it ambiguous for this reason. Both views must be, or both meanings must be in view. So in connection with the beginning of verse 5, we could say that Jesus is near enough to observe our character and how we treat each other. Indeed, this is true. Jesus and sees and knows how we in the church treat each other. And both Jesus' personal nearness and his near return should motivate us to righteous living. Will Jesus find you selflessly being kind and gentle with others? The Lord is near could also be connected with verse 6. Why would we be anxious about anything if the Lord Jesus is near? Indeed, there's no reason to be anxious since Jesus is personally closer to us than our spouse or our closest friend or family member. Jesus and his presence in the Holy Spirit is way better than any human. Jesus is infinitely greater and more powerful. So there's comfort in in our anxious times when we realize that Jesus is near to us personally. And there's also comfort knowing that Jesus' return is near. We can hope and long for Jesus' return when he will make all things new and better. There will be no more anxious times, no more worries. Revelation 21.4, when talking about the, the new heaven and new earth, says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So I think we can begin to to see a progression on how to stand firm in the Lord. Here's a recap so far. We We need to start resolving conflicts, disagreements in our midst. We need to agree in the Lord. And then we need to rejoice in the Lord by pursuing the cause, character, comprehension, and care of Jesus Christ. Then we need to be known for our selflessness and kindness. And now as we transition into verses 6 and 7, we are reminded that the Lord is near both personally and, and in his bodily return. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 25, Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Which of you, by being anxious, can can add a single hour to his life? That last line has always convicted me. It's such a wise statement. Why do I become anxious if it accomplishes 
accomplishes nothing. And why do I worry if it only creates anxious feelings in me? So with similar words, Paul instructs, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. How do we do that? Don't some things just get under your skin and and torment you with anxiety? I mean, I can't help it. It's so easy to be anxious. I'm anxious for my children. I'm worried that they won't turn out all right. I worry about the future. Will I have enough money? Will I have a place to live? Will I still have a job a year from now? I'm anxious what what people think of me. Maybe you're anxious about a possible surgery that you're facing or about the presentation you need to make at work. And then we look at the world, the terrorist attacks in Paris, ongoing attacks in the Middle East. And then what does this mean for Canada? It just goes on and on. There's no end to the possibilities of what to be anxious for. But we're commanded to be anxious for nothing. This commandment seems to be an impossibility on its own. However, if we rejoice in the Lord, that will help alleviate our anxiety. And if we remember that the Lord is near, both now as he's with us personally and as we look forward to his return, there won't be anything left to be anxious for. These truths will, will take away our anxiety. God is a merciful and providing God, and he desires to be in a relationship with us. So God gives us a tool that should give us absolute confidence and assurance. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but instead in everything, by prayer and supplication, With adding thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. We have a God who hears us. We have a God who who cares for us. Our God cares for our needs. He cares for our anxieties and our concerns. And he's ready to take those anxieties away. He wants us to lay our needs and worries at his feet. Pray for your concerns to God, and he will hear you. He doesn't always answer in the, in the ways that we want, but he hears us and he responds. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. God cares for us. We can trust him with our needs and anxieties rather than be left rather than be left with our anxieties God calls us to to cast them away to him and and he'll deal with them. And part of our prayers need to include requests to God where we lay our needs and anxieties before him but our text says that our prayers must include thanksgiving. One of the reasons we pray is out of thanksgiving and gratitude for what God has done for us and and continues to do. There's always something to be thankful for. 
Let us praise our God for what he gives and does for us. Having our prayers focused on thanksgiving helps us to to take the focus off ourselves and off our anxieties. When we pray with thanksgiving and present our request to God, and when we know that God provides and cares for us, and that he takes our anxieties away, this will add to our joy. And ultimately, when we surrender our anxieties to God, we receive true and lasting peace. This is amazing peace. Peace that you cannot really describe. It's the kind of peace that transcends all understanding. It's the peace that comes from above, from God himself. Reserved for those who rejoice in the Lord and, and for those who pray to God who cares and provides. And for those who cast all their anxieties on God because he cares. It's the kind of peace that Results when when everything is just right, even when everything is not all right. It's all right because God is in control of it, and He cares about us. He provides us what what, what we need. The Lord is near. He's with us. It's the kind of peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Guard is a military term implying that, that the peace of God stands on duty and, and keeps out anything that brings on anxiety. The peace of God that results from casting our anxiety to God and from praying our needs and concerns to Him, together with thanksgiving, keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God keeps us grounded and standing firm in the Lord. If you still need more to stand firm, there are two more things. Paul is painting such a complete picture of what it means to stand firm in Christ. But what more could he possibly add? We've already been instructed to pray with thanksgiving and supplication in order to deal with our anxieties. But what could we do in order to not get anxious thoughts in the first place? The answer, right thinking. Anxiety results from wrong thinking. So here is how to correct it. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Ponder them. Fill your mind with good and right thinking. Isn't all our sin conceived and birthed in our minds? So we need to replace wrong thinking with right thinking. We already talked about the place and the effect that prayer has on our wrong thinking. But what else can give us true and right and pure and praiseworthy thoughts? The Word of God. The Holy Spirit can can use His Word to, to correct our thinking. The true and pure Word of God can give us praiseworthy things to think about and to offer to God. Fill your mind with the Word of God. We meditate on and memorize God's Word 
in order to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, then we will have peace instead of anxiety. And finally, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul instructs us with the need for imitation. We need to learn from and and imitate godly people. Those people who are, who are modeling how to follow Christ, who are actively rejoicing in the Lord, who are seeking to know Him and straining to become like Him. We need to imitate other people who are people of prayer, those who surrender their anxieties to God and who offer our thanksgiving and supplication to God. And then the God of peace will be with us. So in the end, with all these things, I, I see a a mathematical equation. How to stand firm, living out our Christian faith. Let's look at the math of Philippians 4, 1 to 9. Reconciliation with people, plus rejoicing in the Lord, plus selflessness, plus the nearness of the Lord, take away anxieties, and of course, the things before and after anxieties are how to take away the anxieties, plus prayer, plus right thinking, plus imitation of godly people, equals the peace of God, which is being fully and completely in Christ. I never knew how complete a picture of joy and peace the beginning of Philippians 4 is when Heather and I chose this as as our wedding text. It is not only a prescription to a good marriage, it sums up a life saturated in the things of Christ. This is how we are to have peace, how to live and stand firm in the Christian walk with God, no matter what comes our way. Amen. Let us uh, sing.